Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his step. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's almost a paradox, isn't it? And that's what our sermon title is this morning. The providence, the plans, the paradox. Providence of God, the plans of God and our plans, and the paradoxes that we have here in life. You know, there are lots of things that we don't understand that are true, and there are lots of paradoxes that we encounter within our lifetime. There's a couple here in our church who, uh, the Bomers, who about a year ago they found out that they were pregnant. And while they were pregnant at 16 weeks, they went in and they looked at the sonograms and the doctors found something that they were very concerned about. And matter of fact, they recognized that the baby's heart was going into failure. And they discovered that there was a huge tumor in the baby and that if they didn't do something in the next couple of days, that the baby would probably die. And they were given choices. They said, you know, you can terminate this pregnancy. and That would probably take care of everything. Or you can just let it go. And uh, we believe that the baby will eventually die, if not soon. Or there's a surgery that you could try that's almost never been done, which would consist of at 16 weeks old, this baby at 16 weeks, removing the baby from the womb, doing surgery, removing the tumor, and then placing it back in, and then we're going to pray that that works. Now, this has hardly ever been done. This is a very, very rare surgery. It doesn't always work. And matter of fact, at this young, there will there may be some some real complications. So you're going to have to decide what to do. Now you could say, <clears throat> well, you know we're Christians and we believe that believe in the promise of God, and so we're just, just going to let this thing go naturally. If God wants this baby to live; He'll let it live. You could say that, or you could say, you know what? We don't want to take this risk. This looks like a really hard deal, and they're you know, who knows what the baby's going to end up being like with this tumor already. Maybe termination is the best. Maybe abortion is the best option because that would probably be easier and we'll just, you know, we could do that. Or we can go with this crazy idea of taking a baby out at 16 weeks and doing surgery on it and then putting it back in and you don't really hardly, we don't have anything to go on except you think you might be able to pull this off. What do you do? I mean, it's a paradox, isn't it? I mean, their values said, we're not going to terminate this baby. We don't believe that's the right decision. But is it the godly thing to say, we're just going to trust God and we're just going to do this the natural way? Or should you try this random crazy surgery that you've never heard of and that most of the doctors have never heard of? What about the providence of God? How does that play in there? Isn't that a paradox to be placed in that situation? What would you do? I want you to see the news report. You won't hear everything that I did, but I want you to see the report of this family in our church. Wow. Amazing. 
So what would you have done? What would you have done in that situation? Can I tell you that the Bomers, uh, because of their faith and because they had been, they'd been in relationship with Christ for a while, um, that their faith greatly informed their decision. Uh, they, they decided that termination, abortion was not an option. Um, but now what do we do? And uh, they obviously went with a radical surgery. Only three had been done. You know, this surgery, like they said, happens when babies are born, but not in the fetus, not as a fetus, not as 16 weeks old. So how do we understand the providence of God in situations like that? How do we understand the providence of God to begin with? I mean, how do we understand the paradoxes that we find in life? You know, there's simple paradoxes like, why do we park in a driveway and drive on a parkway? You know, that's a paradox, isn't it? But then there are other things like, we don't appreciate things that are important to us until they're gone. The more you try to impress people, the less impressed they'll be. The more you learn, the more you realize how much you really don't know. The more you think about failure, the more likely you are to fail. The more available something is, the less you will want it. The more you argue with someone, the less likely they are to see your perspective. The paradox of of our culture, we have bigger houses but smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. More knowledge, but less wisdom. More experts, but more problems. More medication, but less wellness. And even, then even in Scripture, <clears throat> Jesus sometimes would use paradox. Remember when Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first? That's a paradox. Or how about the six times that Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find life. What about Paul when he said, in my weakness, he is strong? What about the theological paradoxes that we have to deal with? Take the Trinity. We believe there is one God. That's what we believe. But we believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that they all three are God. One God, three persons. That's a paradox, isn't it? That we believe to be true, to be scriptural. What about the incarnation of Christ? That Jesus came to this earth and he was fully God, but yet fully man. That's a paradox. But it's an important part of our doctrine as Christians. That we believe that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. That the Father is God. That we believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, but yet he was fully human and felt and was tempted with everything that we would feel and be tempted by. It's a paradox. I'll give you another one, the one that we like to argue about. Some of you are going to be mad. Some of you are going to disturb. Some of you are going to go, I don't even know what you're talking about. It doesn't bother me. Good for you. But there is a paradox that I see in Scripture that has caused more division in the last 30 years than any other paradox I see. And, and I think if we'll just call it a paradox, I think we can move forward. And I think it's very biblical to recognize it as a paradox. And it's called this. Predestination or the determined will of God versus freedom. 
Are things predetermined or is there free will? I want to go ahead and give you my answer right now so you can just be have it and, and you can know. I believe the answer is yes. <laughs> I feel strongly both ways. And I'm not even just trying to be funny. Yes, just like I believe in the Trinity and just like I believe in the incarnation of Christ, I believe in, in the predetermination, our predeterminism, if you want to call it that, um, I was, I studied, matter of fact, when I went to seminary, <clears throat> uh, I did not believe the term Calvinism, which is, a, it's interesting that we use that term because there are a couple things that Calvin believed that's now in modern Calvinism that Calvin didn't even ascribe to, but that's a whole other story. But, but I came into seminary and I did not believe that was true at all. Definitely believed in free choice. Arminianism, I wasn't really an Arminianist. I don't really know anybody that actually is. I know there's people out there, but I've never really actually met someone who says, I'm an Arminian. Uh, well, I actually did, but he was actually from Arminian. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> or Calvinism. Well, after studying with Tommy Nelson for five years, I, I became a Calvinist. Tommy Nelson's pastor, Denton Bible, terrific Bible teacher. But even Tommy would say, you know, there's parts of this I struggle with and that I don't have a good answer for. And so where am I today? Today, I believe that it's a paradox, and I believe both to be true. And so I want us to look at a few things. I want to look at a few things because as we look at these, it's easy for us to fall onto one side or the other extreme and discount responsibility that God has given us. The Bible certainly teaches us that we have a responsibility to plan and to live accordingly. In Proverbs 21:31, a horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. Proverbs 14:15 tells us that the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. And then Proverbs chapter 15 tells us this in verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So there's an important aspect of planning. We have a responsibility to plan and to prepare and to make wise choices and wise decisions. Matter of fact, we're responsible for our decisions. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6 verse 7 and 8 that uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Go back to verse 6. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will reap. You reap what you sow. Your decisions, your choices have a direct consequence upon your life. You can't simply slough that off. Well, it's just God's will. I was speeding and got a ticket, but it's God's will. Yes, I was rude and I said something offensive, but you know, that's just the way way God made me. You're just being lazy. You don't like it when people do it to you. If I walk up and slap you, would you say, oh, that's God's will. (laughs) I took your wallet. It's God's will. That's called fatalism. You're not even being honest about your position at that point. 
But yet the Bible also teaches us in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which set forth in Christ as a plan for fullness of time to unite things in him, things in heaven and things above. In Acts 17, 26 and 27, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined, there's that word, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries. We see there are some things that are determined and we see that there are boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. We could go to Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, uh, which talks about being predestined. It exists. I mean, you have to do something with the fact that we know at least Jeremiah, the Bible says, I formed you in your mother's womb. And he called him. He prepared him to call him. Uh, uh, Jeremiah had no choice about being a prophet. He was called. He didn't even want to be one, but God made him. He created him that way, called him, and, and, and made him. Call it force if you want to, to a degree. John the Baptist. He was to be the pre-runner to Jesus Christ. And it was prophesied and defined and determined in the womb of his mother. Paul, it doesn't look like he had a whole lot of choice. God blinds him, strikes him blind on the road to Damascus. It's not that election doesn't happen. It's what part do we play in our responsibility And I think there's a lot, according to Scripture. There's a lot of responsibility. You don't have to be one or the other because Scripture, in my opinion, and I know, let me just say, I know some of you are going to be very aggravated. You're going to send me notes and emails, and God bless you. Try to say something nice in there, too. Because when you write it, it stays forever. I just want you to remember. I got some notes in my desk, okay? And it's okay that we disagree, but I think Scripture teaches both. It's a paradox, and it's a reality of Scripture. So what does that mean for us today? Let's go back to our first verse, and let's talk about that for just a moment. Our first verse. The Bible said in Proverbs sixteen nine, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now what's interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine And we were talking about another passage in Proverbs. He said, remember that often when they translate from Hebrew, uh, that a lot of times they'll reorder the passage. He said, you might want to check that out. So I was checking out another verse uh, in the context of sermon. It wasn't even this one. And I went and I looked at the interlinear, because I'm not a Hebrew expert, but I use a a tool. um, And I I use my interlinear Greek and Hebrew tool uh, on my software. And sure enough, I find out that how it originally reads is, um, the Lord establishes the steps, but the man, but man plans his ways. The Lord establishes the steps. So it starts off first. God establishes our steps. Now, let's go also to the first verse. Matter of fact, if you have your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Same thing happens right here in Proverbs 16, 1. The verse on the front end says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What, the way it reads in the Hebrew is, 
uh, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The plans of the heart belong to man. That's how it was originally written. And so what do we see here? The Lord has the final word. You make plans. You make decisions. You make preparations. But the Lord has the final say. You're responsible. You take full responsibility for what you do with your life, for what God has given you. And you can make plans and preparation, and you should, but in the final analysis, it will be God, his will, and his will alone. He determined when you're born, he determined when you die, and he knows the number of hairs upon your heads, and you are responsible for your decisions. Now, Let's look at a few terms that I think are important for us to know, a few terminologies that I think are important for us to to understand. The first one is called fatalism. Fatalism is the belief that we are powerless to do anything other than what we actually do. So when people say, when sometimes people will wrongly use this position to say, you know, I just believe in the sovereignty of God. It's all taken care of. You know, it doesn't matter what I do. I, couldn't have, I didn't have any choice whether I had Honey Nut Cheerios or regular Cheerios this morning. It was all determined, okay? That's, that's fatalism. That's, you're believing in fate. You just think, oh, there's nothing I can do to change anything, so whatever I do, this is the way it's going to be. There's nothing I can do to change my actions. That's fatalism, and that's laziness, and you don't even really believe that again or give me your wallet, okay? <laughs> give me your car. Give me your home. Give me everything. It's just fate. You can't change it. Quit complaining, all right? So most people really don't believe that. What about sovereignty? Sovereignty of God. What does that mean? We hear that big word. It simply means God's rule and his ultimate authority, that God is the ultimate authority over life, over creation. He created everything, and his governance and his authority is final, is sovereign, Okay? That's what it means. It doesn't mean, in my opinion, that he makes you sin. It means he's the authority over it, and he has the power to do as he wills and as he chooses. But yet, we can be under a sovereign ruler and still make decisions. Okay? And then there's the word providence. What does that mean? It means the means by which God directs things. The means by which God directs things. Okay? So, with that understanding... Let's move and let's look at our text this morning in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. Proverbs 16, verse 1. And I'm sorry, let me give you three other things real quick that I think are important to know before we do that. Because these are three positions that you'll have people try to deal with this with. The first one is hard determinism, okay? And then we're going to look at our text. Hard determinism. And that's the belief that God works without our choices. He's in charge of everything. He's in control of everything. He's sovereign over everything. But our choices, he works outside of those. So our choices don't have any effect, okay? The soft determinism position would be God works with our choices. In other words, he is the author and finisher of our faith, but he allows our choices to integrate in his determined will, okay? It's soft determinism. And then indeterminism, God works within our choices. Okay, we make a choice, God responds. We make another one, he responds. He's responding to our choices. I don't believe that's true, and I'm not an advocate of hard determinism, but I am an advocate of soft determinism. And I realize many people will disagree. But as we look at our text, let's look at this. Proverbs chapter, let's go back to 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to the man, 
But the first thing that comes is the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The final word is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Here's the truth. Most of us uh, don't have pure motives. Very rarely do you have pure motives. Most of the time, the depravity of our hearts affects virtually every decision that we make. We think about, how am I going to win from this? How am I, what am I going to get? How is this going to make me look? Even when we do things that look altruistic, okay? The Bible says, the ways of man are pure. Yes, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing this deal. That's why I'm serving. That's why I'm helping you. We feel good about ourselves, but the Lord weighs the heart. He knows what our true motives are. He knows what our true heart is, and the truth be told Usually, we have ulterior motives, even if they're subconscious. The Bible says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You know, I, I know a lot of people love that verse. You know, they, all right, that's, I like that verse. Commit my plans to the Lord and then hit the plans, your plans will be established. God will fulfill my request my desire whatever it is but that is exactly opposite of the correct interpretation of that text it's not what it's saying there let me tell you what uh, the hebrew writer what they were communicating is commit your work to the lord he's not just saying your idea your thought your desire your request commit your work commit your life commit all that you do to the lord commitment that word commitment means to roll over on completely roll over on to Christ, completely rely, completely commit yourself to the Lord is what he's saying in all that you do, in all that you say, in all that you ask for. Commit that to the Lord and your plans will be established. So the picture is when we are fully committed to God, we're fully seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, then what happens your plans will be established. The Spirit of God starts to inform our mind and our hearts and our plans. It's not that we go to, God, I got this great idea for you. God, got this great home for me. God, this is what you want right here. And God, you give me this house, you give me this car, and I'm going to use it for you, and it'll be great, and I'll, I'll invite people to church, and I'll go pick them up uh, in my new sports car, and it'll be a great evangelism tool. Your kingdom's going to win. And God, I'm committing that to you. I'm committing to do that for you. And God, I want you to do that. That's exactly the opposite of what that is teaching. The correct interpretation would be, God, do you even want me to buy a car? Should I be content with what I have and take the money I was going to do that and do something for your kingdom? That's the better question because then he says your plans will be established. So often we're like the child who comes and says, give me, give me, give me, and bless it. And God's saying, this is a heart issue. This is not a material issue. So it's not about what you're going to do for me. It's about who you're going to be for me. It's who I'm wanting you to become. And then the third verse, fourth verse here, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, if we only pulled that particular verse out of the text and we went straight to it, some, and some do, might make the argument, well, God makes people sin. God makes people wicked. But we know from the other scripture that we've already read 
that that's not the case. We're responsible for our sin. We're responsible. The wicked are responsible for their choices. You are responsible. You do choose, and you are responsible for it. God is not forcing you. My interpretation, you're free to disagree, but I really think you're wrong. God does not ever make you sin. God does not force you to sin. He had no choice. I know he committed adultery. He had no choice. Yes, you do. I don't think God made I don't think God made David. And we can get into a whole pile of worms. I understand. I'm telling you what I believe. I believe there's a paradox, but here's the beauty of the sovereign God, of the God of providence, that he can take our sin that he does not desire and that he can work and weave it in for his glory. It does not thwart his plans. It does not stop his plans. He is greater than all of our sin. He is greater than all of our mistakes and that he can work in spite of us. That's the glorious, sovereign, providential God of the universe that we serve. That's what's so exciting. And it may not always make sense in our little pea-sized brains, but it's true. It's the sovereign, providential God of the universe whom hopefully you serve and call Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. So, From this text, we see that God's plans sometimes overrule our plans. Often our plans need correction. We are to commit the works to the Lord, and he will establish our thoughts, just like Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 tells us. And God is sovereign and will redeem all things for his glory and his purposes, i.e., go back and see the Bomers. Go back and see the life of Joseph whom his brothers sold into slavery and whom was thrown into prison. And then at the end, they said, we're sorry. And he said, you know what? You meant it for evil, but God is using it. God has meant it. He is using it for good. I.e., go back and see Ruth, who lost her husband and her father-in-law and her brother-in-law, but ends up uh, coming with her mother, uh, mother-in-law to Bethlehem and ends up God using her uh, to raise up a nation. As a matter of fact, she would, uh, the direct lineage of Christ comes out of Ruth and Boaz. You can go back and we could keep going. We could see with Esther, we can see all these different characters, how God works in and through them. And the same is true of your life. When you trust him and seek to serve him, God will work in and through and he will redeem your pain. He will redeem the evil has, that has come your way. He can redeem all things for his glory and his purpose. That's the God that we serve. Now, what about the little things? How do we practically and fundamentally walk through these steps? What are the things that we can do when it's not that simple, when the answers aren't that clear, when it's a left or a right, it's not a right or wrong? And, and let me say at the end of the day, again, I think God's a whole lot more interested in who you are than where you are, okay? Who you are first. And we get so focused on, God, what is it you want me to do in the final analysis? It's like we want to be a medical doctor, but we don't want to go to school. And God doesn't reveal that. He reveals as we take steps of faithfulness. And so that's, that's how it typically works. What are the things that we can do? What are the practical steps that we can do, take within the providential will of God, knowing his will? First of all, Scripture. Letting Scripture become a big part of our mind and our hearts 
and how it informs us. It's not that we're going to go to Scripture and we're going to point at the exact verse and it's going to give us the right answer. It's what it's doing and transforming it. It's it's St. John of the Cross. It's what's happening in the spirit world that you can't see or touch of how the spirit is transforming your heart through the process of scripture and prayer. And number two is prayer. Are you seeking his heart? Are you praying? Are you seeking him? Um, I I remember when um, I was in uh, high school, I remember I had committed my life to Christ. I'd been at this camp. And made just, I mean, I made like $25 or $50 a week, not much. And I remember the next summer, there was some camp, and I can't even remember where it was, but it was like a five or six week camp, and I wasn't going to get paid. I was going to go to it. And it was some kind of Christian camp. And I told my mom, because I knew my dad would say no, it was the summer before I was going to college. I go, I want to go to this camp, this like six week camp. And I remember her saying, No, you got to work. She goes, You're getting ready to go to school, and you're going to pay for it. So uh, you're going to need to work. I go, what? I mean, mom, this is like a Christian camp, you know? And like, I think I really need this. It'll really be good for me. And I mean, her dad was a pastor. And I'm thinking, I cannot believe my godly mother is saying, no, you're not going to get to take six weeks and go to this camp. And I'm thinking in my real mind, I'm thinking, you know, this would be really good. And I could find a godly woman and all. You know, I'm going through all this stuff in my mind. But I'm mad because I prayed about it and I made these plans. But you know, the truth of it, I didn't have, it goes back to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. God knows the motive of your heart. I thought my mom was so ungodly. I didn't even ask my dad because that was just a no anyway, you know. He didn't know why I wasn't working full-time while I was in high school. So, I mean, I wasn't going to ask him. And I remember being so frustrated. But you know what? I hadn't really been praying about it. It wasn't really scripture. It was just a desire out of my heart. I thought it would be best. But we really take Scripture serious. We really begin to pray and ask for counsel, godly counsel, where we haven't already decided what it is that we're going to do because we, we want to do it. But we're saying, God, I really want to honor you. I really want to seek for your kingdom first. Then we begin to listen to godly counsel, and we begin to seek godly counsel. And then we're faithful with what God has already given us. Are you being faithful with where God has placed you, with the responsibilities for where you're serving, or are you shirking responsibilities that he's already given you? I find that God usually will open the next door when I'm faithful with the first one. We just want to skip it. We want to go from senior year in high school to senior year in medical school. You know what I mean? We just want to skip that whole process and just get right there so we can start doing the stuff and be known and feel happy and excited and working for the Lord, but don't make me go to school. I'm really not interested in working this summer. That's what God usually wants. And here's the truth. You've been, you've letting, you're letting the Word of God come in your mind you're praying and seeking his heart. You're receiving godly counsel. You're being faithful with what God has given you. And if the opportunity is there, make a decision. Just make a decision. You go, well, what if I don't feel peaceful? Can I tell you a story? I mean, most of you know this, but when we, I'll have guys all the time that I meet with church planners who go, you know, they're thinking about planning a church. Go, how did you get the peace? How did you know it was the right thing to do? How did you get the peace? And I go, I didn't. I didn't, I, I didn't have like this, don't get me wrong, I had an oughtness to it, but it wasn't like I would go, oh man, this is perfect. <laughs> this is so awesome. I mean, like I so know I have no doubts in my life 
Honey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave our job and you're going to leave yours. We're going to move over here without one. And then we're going to try to raise money. And then we're going to try to figure out how in the world can we afford a house over here. And we're going to try to meet some people and start a church and, and just see how that goes. <laughs> how did you get a piece about that? I never did. I never got one. Like I'd pray, I'd feel like I was always nervous, okay? It was hard. I mean, some of you are going, why do I even come to church here? I mean, I'm probably asking that question right now. This guy can't even get peace about starting this church. Why am I here? You know why? You know why I did it? Because scripturally, I had been seeking the heart of God. We had been seeking the heart of God, my wife and I. We were praying. We were seeking godly counsel. I had 10 men that I was praying with every night, we were, every, night every week, and we were running these things through. In God, And I was just being faithful with what he had given. And then the opportunity came open. When we did the testing, they said, we want you, why don't you go to Lantana? Said, That's great. Where's Lantana? I don't even know where Lantana is. And so we went in faith, not because I had a peaceful, easy feeling. I know you won't let me down. Nope. There was the opportunity. There was the ought to in your heart, the wrestling in the heart. And God, through godly counsel and through opportunity, move forward if you want to go. It was a right or a left. I really believe two things. One, I could have gone somewhere else. We almost moved to Atlanta. We were going to go to Atlanta, and God kind of gave my wife a revelation to trust me. You can do whatever you want. And she, we got through with that plane ride after they had made the offer in Atlanta, and she said, you know what? I'm going to trust you, whatever God's telling you. And you, you might think that she just always automatically says that, and you'd be wrong, okay? Uh, and she's right not to do that, by the way, okay? But she prayed and sought, sought the heart, and God finally uh, said, okay, just trust. And so we did, and that's, to be honest with you, that's really when I got nervous when she said that. Okay, I'm trusting you. You know, because it was real easy. Oh, God, she doesn't really want to do this. You know what I mean? It was real easy to do that. But when I came to that point, all right, let's, let's go do it. I mean, I was in constant consternation. And when doors would seemingly close, I said, God, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to move forward. I'll be faithful. And he would open them up. But here's what I believe. I believe this. I believe if I'd gone to Atlanta, that would have been okay. I don't think I would have been totally out of God's will. Do I think it probably would have been the best? No. But do I think I would have run my life? No. I'll tell you something else. We could have done this, and there were a couple guys that did this with me who were sharp guys, and their churches don't exist today. We could have done this, and we could have failed. And you know what I think? I think it has still been God's will. We have in our American mentality, it's only God's will if everything works out and everybody's smiling and you get rich. Sometimes that might be the opposite of God's will. God wants you to be faithful with what he's put before you. And once you make that decision, and once he opens, the, once he opens those doors, you've got godly counsel. You know this is according to his riches and glory. This is to his kingdom. Even though you don't have a simple peace where you feel good all the time and you wake up with this big certainty and confidence, I know for that without a doubt, without, beyond fact. You know when I finally knew for a fact this was right? You know what, what day I found out? <laughs> this will disturb the heck out of you. You know when I finally knew this was right? Was the day that God gave us this property. That was the day I knew. You know, how we'd, you know how many years we'd been going at that point? Four. That's when I finally knew I have no doubt in my mind. 
took me four years. Now, I know a lot of, I'm a slow learner. I'm sure some of you could have gotten there in four months. But that's when I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's how I knew. But that was a lot of years before that period of time. Okay? God's more concerned about who you are. Are you being faithful with what he has before you? than this exact plan that you feel like you have to know all about before you get there. The providence of God will work in and through as we, are, as we faithfully trust him. And he has determined some things. There are some things that are determined in your life, but you're not going to know what those determined things are till the end. But you are responsible for your choices. What about you this morning? Have you chosen the most important choice? To know him as your savior? Have you come to a place where you recognize, I'm a sinner, and I need grace and forgiveness. And I believe Christ is God. And I believe he can forgive me my sins. I put my faith and trust in him. Not because I understand everything. Not because it's easy. Not even because I have this peaceful, easy feeling and I know he won't let me down. But because I know it's true. And I put my faith in him. What about you, follower of Christ? Are you taking the next step of faithfulness that's right before you? Quit worrying about what you're going to do two years from now. What is God calling you to today? It might be your neighbor next door. It might be someone down the street. It might be somebody in the next cubicle. It might be serving in our preschool ministry here. What is God calling you to take a simple faith, step of faith today? It's not the big one. It's all the little ones that lead up to the big one. That's how you get peace. Father, Father thank you so much for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I thank you for this paradox that you have determined things in our lives and your creation that cannot be denied or changed. But yet, Lord, you give us freedom. You give us the ability to make choices that have real consequences, real results, and real blessings. And Lord, within those, God, we celebrate that we serve a God that's bigger than anything we could understand, anything that we could put in a box or any paradox that we could ever articulate. Thank you that you are the God of this universe and there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing you can't redeem. There's no one who's gone too far. There's no one that you will not receive if they come and bow before you and ask you to be their savior and ask forgiveness of their sins and place their trust in you. So Lord, if there's one today that needs to do that, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your spirit. Lord, for those, Father, who are struggling today, Lord, in their faith, I pray today would be a day that they take a step forward and say, I'm ready to be a part of a group. I'm ready to be a part of a Bible study. I'm ready to to be prayed for. I'm ready to make a commitment. And God, I pray for those who are just seeking that you, Lord, would draw them and that they would take that step without having to know everything, understand everything, but they would just open the door that is in front of them. Lord, let that be true of the lost, of the believers. Let it be true of me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.